You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Welcome everyone to Teller from Jerusalem, and I am your host, Hanok Teller. We are now at Season 2, Episode 31. This is our final episode before our summer recess. No one can accuse me of not giving adequate warning. I found that in the past, if a break was taken, I received urgent messages inquiring about my health. We return after the Jewish holidays on October 18, and now you have an entire summer to catch up on episodes you might have missed. And if you're listening in the winter, or the spring, or the fall, you can always download and listen to earlier episodes, always endowed, if I may say so, with joy and drama, laughter and pathos, and edifying education that it behooves us and everyone to understand and to know. We now resume our subject of how to avoid shaming others, indebted to Joseph Solushkin's book, A Code of Jewish Ethics, Volume 1. The desire to humiliate adversaries is particularly common in politics. When South Carolinian Tom Turnispeed ran for Congress in 1980, his Republican rival unearthed and publicized evidence that Turnispeed once had suffered an episode of depression for which he had received electric shock treatment. When Turnispeed responded with anguished attack at his opponent's campaign ethics, Lee Atwater, who later became very famous as the director of George Bush's 1988 presidential campaign, but was then directing the Republican campaign in South Carolina, responded that he had no intention of answering charges made by a person, quote, hooked up to jumper cables. What a grotesque violation of privacy and the dictum against publicly humiliating another. Atwater put into voters' heads a vicious, graphic image that potentially poisoned not only their perceptions of turn of speed, but of everyone who had ever undergone electric shock therapy. Is it any wonder that some ten years later, when Atwater himself was stricken with an inoperable brain tumor, he found himself attached to unpleasant hospital machinery that he was finally moved to write turn of speed a letter asking forgiveness? In contemporary America, one of the most prestigious and highly paid professions, that of the law, commonly encourages its practitioners, meaning lawyers, to humiliate those who oppose them in court. Particularly among criminal defense lawyers, humiliating an opposing witness is sometimes regarded as a singularly effective way to discredit testimony. So let us bear in mind, never mock someone's past misbehavior. Never say to someone, as the Talmud says, remember your past misdeeds. A contemporary example in revealing the former criminal behavior of someone who is now leaving an ethical, law-abiding life or making it known so as to embarrass that person's relatives. If you admonish someone for wrongdoing she or he committed, never do so in the presence of others. Perhaps this example is not so pertinent today, but Years ago, yeah, 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 yeah. Before digital photography, people had photo albums, and you would shoot and shoot and shoot at a, an event or a family celebration or just taking pictures, and you'd only get them a week back a week later from the local drugstore. And when you got back to pictures, some of these pictures might have the subjects in compromising situations. You may catch someone with picking their nose or something. Such a picture should not be left around. You caught someone in a situation which will be embarrassing to them. There's no reason for you to have it. 
I think if you would catch it today, you'd just immediately delete it from your phone or your whichever which way you catch it and capture it. But it don't, we, we don't want to capture it. We want it erased. Furthermore, do not reveal a scandal if there's no reason for other people to know about it. And there almost never is. We have to remember not to yell harshly at someone who works for you, particularly if that person is not in a position to yell back at you. It is even worse if the screaming or criticism is done in the presence of others. It also behooves us to remember that it's not good to make extravagant, outlandish weddings or any any celebration because you're going to make other people who can't afford it feel they have to keep up with you, and that is something they cannot do without borrowing or using or hemorrhaging large amounts of money. This may be a point why there is virtue in having a school uniform. I am aware of the fact that having a uniform does diminish individuality. But having a uniform means a girl, for example, who cannot afford a designer skirt will be able to have the same uniform as everyone else, and everyone will be uniform, and no one will have to be shamed because they cannot afford the clothing that others have. Never refer to another ethnic, religious, or racial group by derogatory names. This will just humiliate the person, and you want to try and belittle the group, and think about the damage that this can cause. The Crusaders did not just get up one morning and say, hey, let's start massacring the Jews. For centuries, enemies of the Jews stigmatized them with names such as Christ killers, and in this way made them seem less human. Once this label took hold, it became easy to kill and murder Jews. Furthermore, we may not shame children. The prohibition against publicly shaming applies also as strong to children as adults. Indeed, children are more vulnerable to all attacks, including humiliation. Therefore, if parents need to admonish a child, they should do so in private, just as they would an adult. Parents who are quick-tempered must be on guard against breaking this law, for example, by berating a child in public in the presence of this child's peers. Having mentioned children, we must address the grossly incorrect children's ditty, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. So let's listen to this Prince's take on this ditty. Sticks and stones can break our bones, but words can never hurt me. Wrong. See, there is a story of a major league baseball player who's speaking to inmates in prison. One of the inmates asks him, how did you become a professional ball player, sir? To which he says, you know, I think it started when I was a boy. I would play catch with my dad and he would always say, you, you, you keep throwing the ball like that, son, and you'll end up in the major leagues one day. You keep swinging the bat like that, son, and you'll end up in the major leagues one day. And here I am, a professional ball player. The room became quiet. And the inmate who asked the question, he said, you know, the same thing happened to me. When I was a boy, my father told me that I was good for nothing and that one day I would end up in prison. And here I am. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me wrong. See, words can cut deeper and fester longer than any sword known to man. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will hurt forever. Teachers must be careful not to humiliate a student. 
You have to teach children not to taunt other children. When children make fun of another child, they usually say they are, quote, just teasing. But more often than that, more often than not, this is simply a euphemism for humiliating. Children who are humiliated by their peers often suffer from this their entire lives, all because of this abuse that was not stemmed. And here, in this regard, I want to read you an article brought to my attention by Joseph Tulishkin that appeared in People magazine. The story in that magazine reported on the suicide of an overweight teenage girl who had been taunted with her cruel nicknames and comments by her peers. The article prompted this letter, quote, As a teenager, I too was tortured by my fellow students. I was an overweight teen and was abused constantly. I could not escape it. Teachers witnessed this over and over again and did nothing. The principal told me her hands were tied. I thought of suicide, but luckily I never did it. I wish all teenagers who tease others could have it happen to them so they could feel the pain and humiliation that they inflict. I'm signing this letter with the name they chose to torture me with for six years. How would you like to be known by an entire school as Big Bertha? Another thought to bear in mind, if you're soliciting a person for charity, don't ask the donor for more money that she can comfortably afford. If you do, either the person will feel that her contribution will be regarded as paltry, or to avoid embarrassment, they may feel compelled to give you more than they can actually afford. Also, if you're a wealthy individual, don't talk about your financial dealings in the company of those that are less affluent. You're liable to cause them to feel inferior, unsuccessful, or envious. I once mentioned to my children, and I don't know, I only told it to them once, but they never forgot this. I was in a uh, shuttle coming back from the airport, and in Israel, at least, when you're in a shuttle, everybody talks with each other. You have seven people there, where you're coming from, how long have you been away. And there was one person in the, in the shuttle who, has, who was on the same flight as us, obviously, and he kept mentioning, with no justification, how he flew business class. This did not make him seem more important to all of us. We all just felt how, how gratuitous this was and how inappropriate. And when you're a guest, don't ask your host for something that he is likely, unlikely to have, since an inability to comply with your request will discomfort him. Make sure to teach this to children, since young people are more likely than adults to make such requests. A hostess prepares a sumptuous meal, works very hard, and then the kid says, Do you have peanut butter? Or where's the ketchup? This is only going to make people feel uncomfortable, and it's so good to teach children to avoid saying such things. Now, if you're tempted to humiliate someone, let's do the following. Think to yourself, can I think of an episode in my own life that would greatly embarrass me if it became publicly known? If you can, and few of us can't, then consider how you would like someone regarding, how would you like someone to spread this information to others? Wouldn't you consider this to be cruel, or at least grossly unfair? Wouldn't you find it difficult, if not impossible, to forgive this person? If so, then think long and hard and restrain yourself before revealing such information to other people. There is a great Yiddish witticism which teaches, Who is a hero? One who suppresses a wisecrack. Those with a sharp sense of humor should consider their words carefully. Similarly, people who write critiques of others, like book reviewers, must take careful not to make a clever comment at the writer's expense if it's not totally deserved. 
I now wish to read to you a story which I read in that bastion of literature, none other than Reader's Digest. This would be Reader's Digest, this, uh, this, the July-August edition of 2016. And here's the story of Colin Ryan. When I was in fifth grade, you could have told me, Colin, it's not cool to wear the same pair of sweatpants every single day of school. But I was comfortable. And you could have said, Colin... It's not cool to go to the school dance and do the Macarena for the entire duration of Guns N' Roses' November Rain. I would not have stopped. And you could have even told me, Colin, it's not cool to be an active member of your local church's clown troupe. Then I went to sixth grade, middle school, and all of a sudden it was clear that there were only two options. I could somehow be cool, or I could somehow be invisible. And I have to say, I was doing pretty well at option two until third period on the first day when a teacher had us fill out a questionnaire with get-to-know-you questions. I assumed that she would be reading them privately, so I felt safe to share from the perspective of the sweat wear, sweatpants-wearing, macarena-dancing, Christian-clowning, little snowflake that I was. The teacher collected the sheets, shuffled them, and redistributed them to the class. We went one by one read the student's name and then our three favorite answers. My sheet ended up in the hands of a kid who was one of the coolest and one of the meanest. His favorite answers of mine were the three worst ones to be read out loud. The first question was, what's your favorite movie? The other kids wrote Scream and Universal Soldier. I remember thinking, we're 11 years old. How are you seeing R-rated movies? He read my answer, Beauty and the Beast, which, parenthetically, I still maintain holds up better than the others, but I couldn't make that argument effectively at that time. A laugh erupted from the room, and my cheeks burned because I knew we were just getting started. The next question he read was, where would you like to travel? The others said, Australia, Japan. I wrote, wherever a book takes me. The laughter this time had an explosive quality to it. The kids were high-fiving. The final question was, what do you like to do on weekends? The other kids wrote, hang out with friends or go to the mall. I wrote, perform with Clowns for Christ. Those who weren't laughing at me were sort of staring at me in disgust. I felt about an inch tall. I remember fixating on my Trapper Keeper binder and trying to figure out if I could somehow disappear inside it. But then... Something amazing happened. A voice from the back of the room called out, Guys, cut it out! And the room went silent. The voice belonged to Michelle Seaver. And Michelle Seaver was popular and cool. Michelle Seaver had sway. The room was quiet. But Michelle wasn't done. She turned to the teacher and said, Why are you letting this happen? What's the point of this if we're just going to make fun of each other? I don't remember the teacher or the kids' names. But I still remember Michelle Seaver. I remember how it felt when she spoke up for me because she showed me that day that there were actually three options. You can be cool and you might be remembered for a little while. You can be invisible and you won't be remembered at all. But if you stand up for somebody when they need you most, then you'll be remembered as their hero for the rest of their life. Gosh, what I want to do next, I'm not going to have enough time for it, so I'll just get us started. And that is, public shaming used to take place in the public square. 
By the 19th century, it had moved to the newspaper. In the 20th century, the forum was television. Today, people are scorned online. The internet, with its opportunity for anonymity, its absence of gatekeepers, and its magnification of transient hurts, has made it unervingly easy to generate instant mass outrage. The blog, a venue of self-reflection, has given way to social media posts, which tends to favor the impulsive attack on the group pylon. Digital shaming delivers swift and overwhelming retribution, often unfairly. You don't even have to be right to be successfully pillared by someone. All you need to do is feel that you've been wronged. And here's a good example. In 2015, an Australian man at a shopping center took a selfie in front of a poster of Darth Vader and sent it to his kids. A mother standing nearby mistakenly thought that the camera was pointed at her children, and she decided that the man was a predator. She photographed him and posted the image in Facebook, warning, Take a look at this creep. The post was shared by 20,000 times. The man was told that people online were calling him a pedophile. He drove to the local police station to clear his name. It was too late. He had already been identified on the Internet. He received death threats. After the accuser's error was revealed, it was all over for him. And I look forward to resuming with you on October 18. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes a never-fail approach how to inculcate good character. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode, and be sure to visit tellerfromjerusalem.com. You can find more details about this show and other useful information. Check out the site store, and just by inserting the TFJ code, you will receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced price of all Hanoch Teller products, books, lectures and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Teller from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to telefromjerusalem.com.